Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Holy Man, a journey of becoming godly men. No matter if we are sons or husbands, dads, grandfathers, or just any regular guy out there, we are going to try to figure out how God would want us to live on this journey called life. None of us have it all figured out. So let's dig into God's Word and wrestle with God's Word as we try to become who God created us to be, specifically, holy men. Welcome to the Holy Man Podcast. We're on episode 28 today, and uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Just me today. But, uh, you know, as I get ready to record this this morning, um, I I walked up to the church this morning, and uh, it was snowing out. (laughs) Middle of October, and it's snowing, and uh, we're not surprised by that here in Gillette. But uh, the cool thing for me is I'm getting ready to leave later today. I'm going to be heading down to... Oklahoma, where it's 80 degrees, and I'm going to visit my kids down there for a couple of days, and and I feel bad for my wife because she's not able to go with me this time. She's going to stay up here and and help Daniel be at school and things like that. So I haven't had a couple of days off yet uh, since um, May, I guess. So I'm going to take a couple of days off and uh, go down and be with my kids. We're uh, continuing on our journey here in the Holy Man podcast throughout this semester, just talking about our communication, talking about words. And, you know, it's so amazing that as I've talked with so many of you and sat in a couple of the life groups and just heard some of the conversations, man, there's a reason why God put this one on my heart to do this, uh, to talk about our communication in words, because, man, it is so important in our lives. You know, sometimes we don't realize how important it is until we get into it. But, you know, the amazing thing for me, as I've been working and getting ready for each of these podcasts, God gets it. Guys, there is so much in Scripture. It is so easy for me to find passages in Scripture or stories in Scripture where we find people struggling with communication and their words or finding ways to do well with it. And God lets us know. He gets it, guys. He knows that our communication is a struggle for us. And so it's so cool that God equips us. He gives us so much ammunition to help us to win this battle, or at least to do better in this battle, and to grow in our relationship with Him and allow the Holy Spirit to uh, help us with our words. Uh, For instance, the book of Proverbs, holy mackerel, there is so much in there about our words and how to talk better and what, what happens if we do communicate well. Proverbs chapter 10, there's a bunch of nuggets just within chapter 10. For instance... The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. Just think about that for a second. The words of the godly, people who are walking with God, people who are allowing the Holy Spirit to guide them and lead them, the people who walk with God are a life-giving fountain to others. But on the flip side, the rest of that passage, the words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. I mean, if you just ponder on that text for a while and just realize what power that we have with how we communicate with others, dang, there's a lot. Proverbs chapter 10, later on in that chapter, verse 21, the words of the godly, there's that phrase again, again, people who are walking with God, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them. 
the words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. Their lack of common sense and how they communicate, right? Yeah, and so we'll be, that's what we're going to be talking about here a little bit, that, that last one there, the idea of encouraging others. We're going to deal with that one a little bit today. You know, these, these are so important uh, in our walk, guys, of just these little nuggets. If we can just meditate on them and allow the Holy Spirit to do something with them, write them on our hearts so that we can learn how to better communicate. Uh, you know, as I've been getting into these podcasts, a couple of you have asked if I had some other material, and I have one little book that I had on my shelf from a, I bought it, I don't know how many years ago. And I pulled it out when I knew I was going to be thinking about communication. I pulled it out as one of the resources. So I just want to mention it. Uh, it's called 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue. It's written by Deborah Smith. And I'm going to butcher her last name, Peggy's, Peguis, something like that. I even looked it up on the internet how to pronounce it. And there was different ways to pronounce it. So, But 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue, a good little book. Uh, it's just been one of the pieces of foundation that I've utilized and... Uh, and walking through this semester and uh, some good things in there. If you want to go a little deeper, uh, you can borrow it from me or you can grab it uh, on Amazon or christianbook.com. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, two of those problems, as we've done most days, uh, looking at people who have the problem of discouragement. So they're discouraging others on a regular basis or maybe just once in a while. And the other one is the idea of doubt, being a person that just has a lot of doubt in you and you're doubting others on a regular basis. You know, saying things like, that's not going to happen, or there's no way you can do that. You know, things that when someone else has hope or excitement in them, a, a dream, and we discourage them or we doubt that that's going to be worthwhile. You know, you think about how the opposite of that is to bring life. The, you know, that first passage that I looked at, uh, having uh, allowing your communication to be a life-giving fountain. That's the opposite of discouragement and doubt. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. You know, as I was preparing for this episode... Uh, there's a man from my past that came to mind. His name is Ron Bowersox. And you know, he, he passed away a couple years ago. And just to let you understand who Ron was or what Ron was about, uh, when his funeral happened, there was not enough room in the church for everyone who wanted to be there because this was a man who poured into changed the lives of so many people, and I was one of them. Uh, Ron was the lead pastor at the church when I was making that transition. I was a civil engineer first, and then as I felt called into pastoral ministry, Ron was my lead pastor, and I was already working with him. I was the volunteer youth pastor at that time, and so I was already working with him, and, and he was part of that reason of how God was able to call me into ministry because of how he encouraged people. For me to say that Ron is a man of encouragement and, and faith and joy is such an understatement. And I guarantee you, there are thousands of people that would agree with me. There is no one in those early days of my pastoral journey who encouraged me more than Ron. And when I did get, uh, you know, anytime I have a time of talking with Ron, I would just be different. You know, he'd walk up to me and he'd put his hand on my shoulder and he'd look into my eyes deeply and he would just share a life-giving fountain with me. 
he would change my lies. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, it would just come pouring out of him. I would feel alive, energized, blessed by that man. You know, hopefully you have at least one person, hopefully more of people like that, like Ron in your life, people who have poured into you, uh, shared hope with you, shared encouragement with you, helped you to, to figure out your dreams and, and see how, what the possibilities that God has for you. Hopefully you have someone like that because man, they can be so life-changing for you. Some of you have heard me say things like that before, of that we, we, we want to find those people, those people that can pour life into you. And, you know, and just like words can be life-giving fountain, on the flip side, though, discouraging words, and that's what we're talking about, though, discouraging words or words that, that have doubt for us, they can, have the, they can take the life right out of us. They can bring deep wounds to us, and especially if we hear them as kids, because I have no doubt that some of you still carry some of those wounds around that someone hit you with when you were younger, and they just hurt. You know, those discouraging words saying, you could never amount to anything. You're not going to be worth anything. You know, if you heard words like that as a kid, man, I guarantee you, you're still carrying those wounds because they are heavy, they are hard, and they, take, they sap the life. But here's the thing, guys. God looks at each and every one of us. God looks at each and every one of us and says, you are worth so much to me that I'm willing to give my life for you. You have so much potential. I created you on purpose for a purpose. And God just wants us to have that encouraging word, wants us to find those dreams and those possibilities because he created us for so much. So God, it's, uh, guys, it's so important for us to learn this understanding of discouragement and doubt because we do not want to be those people that bring other people down. You know, I do not want to be that person who ha- brings so much doubt or discouragement to my kids that they have wounds for the rest of their life, that they feel that they can't amount to anything, that they feel like they're not worth anything. I, mean, I do not want to be that person. You know, we find stories about this kind of stuff all through scripture. One in particular, and maybe you guys have heard it before, it's out of Numbers chapter 13 and 14. It's in the story of Moses and him trying to get the people of God from the Exodus out of Egypt, and they're trying to get into the promised land. And it's that story when uh, they send out the spies into the promised land. They send 12 different spies out to, to check things out, to see what, how good is it? What, what are we going to need to accomplish? What are the people there that we might have to conquer or fight against to, uh, to get our place? You know, what does it going to look like? And so they send out these 12 guys. And so this is picking up after they come back, after the 12 guys go out. And you can think about what are they going to say? What's the report going to be? And how will they be able to encourage the rest of the people for what's in front of them? So starting in verse 25 of chapter 13, it says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh and in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the fruit, uh, the kind of fruit that it produces. They were so excited for what they saw. This was the best land. This is not, this was not a desert. This was just beautiful country where they were going to be able to thrive. 
And, you know, you hear a report like that and everybody's just getting excited. And then there's that certain word. You know the word, don't you guys? That word that you hear something really good. It's almost too good to be true. And then that word comes out of one of those guys' mouths. You know what the word is? But, yeah, but, they say. Verse 28, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. And with that, (laughs) they were sharing their doubt of being able to do what God had said they could do. That was a big but, (laughs) and I cannot lie. All right, I said it, guys. Yeah, sharing that word but, it just changed the dynamics all of a sudden. Here's the great report. It's great land, but ain't no way. Now, not all 12 of the spies felt the same way. You know, here's, here's another but. It's a good but. <laughs> it says in verse 30, But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. You see, Caleb, he, he, he had faith. He knew God. He knew the possibilities. He had hope of what God was going to be able to accomplish through them. They, he knew the, the purpose that God had for these people, and he believed it. And there was no giants. There was no walls. There was nothing that he believed could get in the way. <laughs> and then another but comes into the story. Verse 31, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread a bad report about the land among the Israelites. They discouraged the people. They stirred up lots of doubts. And because of it, maybe you know the rest of the story, because of it, the people rebelled against Moses and God, and that led them, you know, because they rebelled, because they allowed this discouraging word, the the doubt just put into their hearts, instead of seeing what God had been doing, how his faithfulness had already got them out of Egypt and conquered other nations already, God had helped them do amazing things. But these discouraging words, this doubt of the spies, those 10 spies, Man, it just went through the whole crowd of people, and they doubted. They said, no way can we go. And because of that, God said, all right, you don't have faith? You don't want to trust me? Well, then you're going to have to wander the desert for 40 years. I'm still going to get you there eventually, but you're going to have to pause. You're going to have to wait, and you're going to have to learn how to trust me. You're going to have to learn how faithful I am, God says. So for 40 years, if those guys would have seen the possibilities that were in front of them, from a different perspective, like Caleb and Joshua did. You know, all 12 of them saw the same land. They saw the same obstacles, the same giants. But Caleb and Joshua saw it through the perspective of having faith in a faithful, almighty, all-powerful God. And so they were ready to charge forward with the life in front of them. You know, our perspective on life and our perspective on God leads us to live and to communicate with others out of that perspective. Let me say that again. Our perspective on life and our perspective on God leads us to live and to communicate with others out of that perspective. So here's a question for you. How big is God for you? 
How faithful has God been to you? How much do you know that God loves you? How much do you realize God's creativity and his power and his love and his grace and his forgiveness, all those different parts of God? How big is your God? Because how much you trust in God to lead into the purposes that he has for you will encourage you or cause you doubts. I remember it was a few churches ago where I was serving as one of the pastors there on staff, and uh, we had a possibility. A new local ministry was starting up. It was called Family Promise, and it was a great organization. You know, as we researched and as we learned, and one of the people from our church actually worked as, as the leader of it, and it was a great opportunity. Basically what it did, it helped get families who were homeless out living on the streets, and it helped to get families off the street into jobs, and into better living conditions. This was a great ministry, a great organization that helped people get back into life. That's a great thing. They weren't just handing them fish. They were helping them, teaching them, showing them how to fish for themselves. It was a great opportunity, and we loved this, that it was helping people get back onto life. But here's the deal. You know, we had a... We had a great opportunity to help them because here's what they were going to do with us. They wanted our churches in in the area, so 12 different churches, they wanted us to take a month at a time and for each of us to take a turn putting up these people overnight. And so during the day, they would be out looking for jobs and getting trained and, and doing things at the Family Promise house, getting ready. But in the evening times, they would come into your church, you would feed them a meal, they would hang out at the church, and then they would sleep in your church. So they'd have, you know, we they would bring in air mattresses and things, so they'd be able to sleep there every night. And they would do this for a week at a time. So they would use your church facility. We had a great church facility for this. We had a huge church, and we had some space that wasn't being used regularly, and it was a great opportunity to be able to do this. But here's this word, there's that word, guys, but. That word, but, it came out. But there were those few people who did not like this idea. They were willing to put these people up in hotels for the week. Instead of, they were willing to give money so that they wouldn't have to stay in our church. You know, it was scary to them. They shared many what ifs. What if they take something? What if they break something? What if they invite drug dealers to our church? What if, what if, what if? They had lots of doubt, and they shared lots of discouraging thoughts. And there was a grouping of people that were very much against this. But, here's a good but, there were some great leaders on our board, in our leadership, in the influence of our church that said, this is a great opportunity and we're going to steam forward. We're going to try it. We're going to trust God. And we did. But there was plenty of grumbling. But it ended up, it was a huge success and it's a business, it's still going. You guys, we could look at many different situations. And there's many different perspectives to look at all those different situations in life. You know, I would be the first to admit that I've blown it with this one before, many times. You know, I've been a person that have has had a bunch of, you know, a moments of what ifs or some doubts. I've been a person who has shared discouragement at different times with different people. You know, and one of the problems that I have with this is my family, my wife and my kids, they're all super creative in so many different ways. And so they're always coming up with these new ideas and and great ideas of artwork and and ways of doing things, and 
they're just creative. And, you know, so it's a little bit out of my box. And so because of that, I sometimes I hear one of their ideas and I, and I ponder for a moment and say, but there's so many different ways to look at this. And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And why would you want to? And so I have the potential of being a discourager, a person who doubts their creative, amazing ideas. And so I really have to put on the brakes. I really have to hold my words in because the last thing I want to do is just spew out discouragement or doubt and just, and I've, because here's the deal, I've done it. And the looks on their faces when I do that, oh, have you been there, guys, where you, you let those words sink out of your mouth and all of a sudden you see their look and you're like, I blew it. And then trying to lift them out of that pit that you just put them in is so much harder than keeping them up out of the pit to begin with. It's one of those moments that I wish I could push the rewind button on and to do it over. You know, guys, we have to find that perspective in life to look at life from God's perspective, to see life as something that is just a blessing. It's good. And to be able to celebrate life and look at the good possibilities and to find the purpose and that God has for us. You know, there's a great movie out there. It came out back in 2007, I think, somewhere around there. It's it's actually one of my my wife's favorite, all-time favorite movies. And so we've watched it several times. It's a little bit of a chick flick. I'm not going to lie to you. Mike probably wouldn't be excited about it because he's not big on chick flicks. But it's a great story. It has great thoughts to it, great ways to think about life. And it's called Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. And I recommend it. It has some great actors in it. It has Dustin Hoffman, Jason Bateman, and Natalie Portman. So you just look at those three headliners, and that's some big people. Those are some big names. And so it's a, just because of that, there's great acting in it. But the storyline and the possibilities, you know, there's one point where, uh, Jason Bateman's character, who is a very, he's a guy who looks at life half empty. You know, he's just very steady, doesn't see joy, excitement in life, and he struggles to see what life can really be all about. Well, on one point, uh, Mahoney, that's Natalie Portman, uh, she says to him, you're a just guy. He says, what's a just guy? She says, you walk around and you think it's just a store. It's just a bench. It's just a tree. It's just what it is, nothing more. You see, the opposite of a just guy, this is me talking now, not out of the movie. The opposite of a just guy is someone who sees hope, who sees possibilities, who is encouraged about life, about what God can and will do in our lives, and what God is willing to do in our lives. It's a life of encouragement, of hope, instead of a life of doubt and discourage it discouragement. It's, again, it's a little bit more of a glass half full mentality instead of a glass half empty mentality. And truthfully, maybe even three quarters full. I mean, this, the movie shares this imagery of seeing how to live life to the fullest to the, and really get the most out of it. In another scene, it was really, it's a really cool scene. Mr. Megorium, who's the star, that's Dustin Hoffman, and he's the star, and he just, he lives life to the fullest. And so he, he says to Mahoney, it will be 37 seconds. Mahoney responds back, great, now we wait. And Mr. Megorium, get this, he says, no, we don't. 
We breathe, we pulse, we regenerate, our hearts beat, our minds create, our souls ingest. 37 seconds well used is a lifetime. He shares this idea that we need to live life from God's perspective, seeing life as a life of hope and joy and possibilities and dreams. And I know sometimes in our day-to-day life, the doldrums of life, working daily, getting out of bed, doing the same thing over and over, sometimes you're like, what? there's nothing here. It's the same thing. But from God's perspective, there's so much more. (laughs) One other great scene, it's right before, excuse me, right before Mr. Megorium is ready to pass away. And yes, that's part of the movie. But right before he's ready to pass away, he looks at Mahoney and says, your life is an occasion. Rise to it. It's such a cool scene. There's so many cool scenes. There's so many good phrases. I could just repeat a lot of this movie, guys. It's just that good. I recommend it. Check it out. Find it. Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium because it helps you to see perspective on life. Life is good. God is good. He is faithful. He loves us and he wants to live life with us. And out of that perspective, we can become people of hope. We can become people of joy and we can become people of encouragement, not discouragement. You know, there's a great character in scripture. I would have loved to name one of my kids this, but you know, I don't know. Barnabas is, I guess, just never did. But I love this character in Scripture. <clears throat> do, you ever, do you know the name Barnabas? Uh, Barnabas, as we find him in the book of Acts. <clears throat> Sorry, I needed to get a <clears throat> quick drink of coffee there, guys. Barnabas is in the book of Acts. And we find him in so many different places throughout the book of Acts walking alongside of all the other apostles, and he is the encourager. And actually, his name's not Barnabas. We, f- we first find him in the book of Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 36, where it says, for instance, there was Joseph. So his name is actually Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed. So Barnabas is actually his nickname. They nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was a man that was throughout all of the book of Acts. We find these little nuggets, these little places where he is lifting these other people up in the church. He's doing things to share hope, to share possibilities. One of the first things he did was he, he was a wealthier man and he sold a field, he sold some property, and he gave the money to the apostles to help lift up the church, to give it some starts and help it to get going. But later on, we find it's in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. The apostle Paul, in this part of the story, he's still Saul. His name is Saul. So he still has that name of what he was before he became a Christian when he was killing Christians, when he was persecuting the church. And so he's now a Christian. He's met Jesus, and he's now trying to get connected to the other apostles. So in verse 26 of chapter 9, it says, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, including the apostles, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. So guess who steps in? Barnabas. It says, Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had been the 
had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Can you imagine Saul in that moment as Barnabas grabs hold of him and lifts him up in front of the others and encourages him and helps the other people to know that this was a great man and they should invite him in? How exciting is that to have those kinds of people in your life? But the funny thing is, later on in the Acts story, chapter 15, we find Paul and Barnabas having a disagreement. They didn't see eye to eye on something, and because of it, we find another opportunity for Barnabas to encourage someone. It says, starting in verse 36, it says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of God to see how the new believers are doing. Great idea, right? Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, it says. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them on their work. In their disagreement, it says it was so sharp that they separated. They went different directions. Paul went a different direction. He took Silas with him and Barnabas went a different direction. They were both doing the same thing and visiting these other churches, but Barnabas took John Mark with him. Now, who was right and who was wrong? Well, they both were right, and they both were a little wrong, maybe. I mean, Paul was called to be a missionary. He was called to, to be a church planner and, and keep on the mission. And he, you know, to have someone like John Mark along for the ride that maybe just wasn't up to task yet, wasn't ready yet. We don't know the reason that John Mark let them down, but he did somehow. Paul said, we need to keep going. We need to carry out the mission of the church. Well, Barnabas had a different mission. And his mission was encouragement. And so he took John Mark with him and encouraged him. And actually, John Mark ended up being a vital person in the life of the church. I mean, think about it. Do you know who John Mark was? He was Mark. He was the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, which was the very first gospel that was written. He, and he was the one that pulled alongside of Simon Peter. Barnabas encouraged John Mark and got him connected to Simon Peter. He hung out with Simon Peter a lot. And so the gospel of Mark is actually the gospel of, according to Peter. Peter's the one that shared this word with John Mark. Mark is the one that simply penned it, wrote it down, and presented it. And he became such a good leader in the life of the church that later on we find in the book of 2 Timothy... Paul was writing to young Timothy, and Paul's in prison at this point, and he tells Timothy, get John Mark and bring him to me because he is highly valuable to my ministry. So eventually, Paul realizes that John Mark is such a valuable commodity in the life of the church. Well, how did that happen? It happened because Barnabas was a man of encouragement, because Barnabas was willing to lift him up out of the doldrums, out of the pits of where he was, and he might have failed, he might have not done well at that point, but but Barnabas saw something in, in him and encouraged him and allowed him to find his purpose that God had for him. You know, you go back to that very first proverb that I mentioned in chapter 10. Our words or our communication has so much power. They can be a life-giving fountain or not. We can crush people with how we communicate. We can hurt people. We can wound people. We can keep them wounded for years to come. 
we can be a person who discourages others or spreads doubt into their lives and cause hardships and esteem issues in their lives. We can do that. We have that power. We have that potential. But here's a good but, guys, (laughs) to be a person who looks at life differently to see hope, to see possibilities, to speak out of our faith in God, to do great things, to be a voice of encouragement, we can also change people's lives in a way that change, that just blesses them. We can share life with them. We can be a life-giving fountain. So what are some of the things that you can do to take a step forward and be an encouragement? If you're somebody who <clears throat> is a glass-half-empty type person, a person that sees a lot of holes, a lot of what-ifs, I want to invite you. Spend some time noticing God. Seriously. Maybe just remember some of the great words of God, some of the faithful words of God, some of the great stories of God, and see how God works amongst his people. Realize, look around the world. Look at his power. Look at God's power, his creativity. We live in a world that has bridges and machines, and they're able to do what they do. That's because God created the way he did. Notice God's faithfulness. Ponder some of those Bible stories, because here's the deal. We sang a song on church on Sunday. Uh, it says it's, it's about being God being the same God. He's the same faithful God that we see in Scripture. He's the same God today. So you check out some of those Bible stories that are just unbelievable and see how God works amongst the people and realize God's the same God. He is still faithful. <clears throat> As you spend time noticing God, and realizing God's faithfulness, his love for you, his compassion for you, his mercy. As you allow that to well up inside of you, find hope, find joy, and begin to share that with others. Notice your kids. Spend some time. If you have kids or grandkids, notice them. Be amazed by them. Listen to their creative, their crazy ideas, and just marvel at them and become an encourager. Okay, we have to I know we have to nip things in the bud sometimes. Sometimes, you know, that maybe they want to be creative and see how they can dodge cars in traffic. Well, no, of course, we're, we're going to doubt that. But when they have a creative idea, ask them questions. Find out more about it. Be interested in them. Encourage them. How about your, if you're married? Notice your wife. Share hope with her. Share joy. Encourage her with the life that's in front of her. You know, your words can bring life or they can bring death or that you can make a person's life feel like death. You know, here's an opportunity for you guys. Find some ways. Look from the perspective of God into your life and seeing the possibilities, seeing the hope, seeing the dreams that God places in front of us and find some intentional ways today to encourage someone. Be that person. Be a Ron Bauer socks to someone else. Pull alongside of someone, maybe someone that's down, maybe someone that's struggling, maybe someone that's needing some hope. Pull alongside of them and encourage them. Share hope. Share dreams. Share God. And change their lives. So how do we finish? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Guys, have some great conversations in your life groups and encourage each other to encourage others. And may God get the glory for what he's going to do in you in being a man of encouragement and hope and dreams. Have a great day, guys.